today is to remind you of the two rules of the class. And let's start with the easy one. What's my rule? Uh, John David Guybe's rule in a class. There are no dumb questions. Where's, where's Dr. Ramez? Dr. Ramez? Do you agree? There is no such thing as, yes, good. Now, second rule. Rabbi Spitzer's rule. You can ask any question that you want, provided that you're willing to listen to the answer. Brilliant. So there it is for today. Master Zeb will introduce our speaker. All right, can you hear me now? <laughs> it's a great pleasure for me to introduce Dr. Ramez Islambouli. I first met him um, when we were doing uh, an interfaith trialogue event that was an annual event at Lakeside sponsored by the Northeastern Ohio Conference of the United Methodist Church. And that was an event, I, I don't know exactly what the, uh, you know, if they are still doing that, but at least while myself and my friend Amy Shaw, retired Methodist minister, were doing it, Every year, we had presenters of, uh, from the Christian community, Rabbi Spitzer representing the Jewish community, and a guest speaker from the Islamic community. And Dr. Ramez came uh, one year and did that. And then I met him again when we had a commemoration of, I think it was the 800th anniversary of the uh, either the birth or the death of Jalal Uddin Rumi, and we had a forum at uh, Walsh University, and I think you're in for a real treat. Dr. Islambouli is um, a very articulate and a well-informed and learned exponent, as well as devotee of Islam, and. The only thing I would add is Zev's rule, uh, or perhaps I would call it Zev's caveat to the two rules we've reserved. The only stupid question is the one to which you already know the answer. <laughs> so please ask because you really want to know. Dr. Islambouli, thank you. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay, that's good. Yeah, first time I put something creeping on my ear. <laughs> well, it's a blessed day. Good morning. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, I just want to take like a few minutes to give you a kind of background of myself, and then um, we'll try to go into the um, subject. Um, I'm planning to, I always try to plan to speak for like half an hour, and then open the floor for questions. Um, if I went like a few minutes over the half an hour, that's fine. Okay. Uh, as I said, uh, my name is Ramis Islambouli. I um, origin from Lebanon. Um, I came in 1988 to the United States to pursue my studies. Um, my undergraduate degree is in biomedical engineering, uh, and my master's is in biomechanics. Uh, I worked for a couple of years as a research engineer uh, in um, Metro Hospital, this is in Cleveland, Ohio. And then while I'm there, I was asked, you know, I was volunteered by my supervisor to speak to um, like nurses, social workers, uh, physicians, about what special um, requirements uh, Muslim patients need so this they can serve them in a better way. Uh, and I did that, and I think I like this more than my engineering job. 
you know, engineer, you are stuck in a lab by yourself working on specimens. In presentations, you interact with people in a, in a better way. So I did that. Now, I do have my clergy background, although, you know, I did my, uh, I'm an engineer. But what's interesting is that while presenting to medical staff, I was asked medical terminology that I'm not aware of. Like, for example, what is the you know, opinion of Islam on in vitro uh, fertilization, okay? Uh, organ transplantation, and then medical terminology that really I'm not very much aware of. So I decided to go back to a school, uh, medical school, and I earned another master in uh, biomedical ethics this time. Um, my uh, research was on Islamic understanding of uh, medical ethics. And then I liked the subject more, so I pursued more graduate studies at Duquesne University in uh, Pittsburgh with focus on religious perspective on medical ethics, like Christian, Jewish, Islamic um, opinion on issues that involve biomedical ethics. Uh, with this, um, I found myself teaching uh, Islamic ethics and then Islamic law and then uh, Islamic studies, Islamic history. And then um, in 2006, uh, Case Western Reserve University wanted to start an Arabic program. And they asked me if I would like to head the program. So currently, I'm the section head of the Arabic program and Islamic studies uh, at Case Western Reserve University. And also, I teach Islamic law at the law school there. And I quit my engineering job. And I dedicate myself for, uh, you know, teaching. Um, the, the topic of Islam, um, I'm sure some of you have some background. You've seen uh, the, uh, the documentary Islam, Empire of Faith. And um, taking this into consideration, I don't want to repeat what you have seen in the uh, video. But I'm going to take it in a, you know, uh, in a parallel way where you can uh, complement what you have seen with our presentation today. Um, oh, I, I always like to. I, I'm married. Uh, my wife is also from Lebanon, and uh, she's the director of international patient services at University Hospitals. I have two kids. Uh, my all, uh, eldest um, is first year law school. And my youngest, he is in seventh grade, okay? Okay, so when we talk about Islam, I usually like to differentiate between two terms. Islam with a lowercase i and Islam with an uppercase i. <coughs> Why? Islam <coughs> with a lowercase i, we can say it's an Arabic term. That means to submit to the will of the creator. Okay? So that's what the term Islam as an Arabic term means. And the word Muslim is the person who submit to the will of God. Okay? And technically speaking, every one of us is a Muslim, okay? Uh, because from the time God existed and God, the creator, created, and that creation, in a way, submitted to the will of its creator, okay? And even before human beings, you know, the, the water, the wind, the earth, plants, Everything that are caused by the creator are in a way in submission to the will of that creator. Okay? So this means, you know, everything in creation is an act of Islam, is a Muslim. You know, that's why one time I was presenting at a Catholic church and I started the same thing. And everybody got upset. No, we were born Catholic. We were born, you know, uh, Protestant. And I said, we're all born in a state of Islam, in a state of submission to the will of our creator. Okay? And that's why, you know, um, if you want to 
be technical about the first Muslim, we say that Adam is the first Muslim. He's the first one who submitted to the will of God's uh, plan. And then you can talk about Eve and the rest of uh, creation. Now, I would like to add something here, okay, that Islam is not only a submission to the will of the creator, but also an awareness of the existence of the creator. So you have to add this also. So you are not only in submission to the will of your creator, but also you have a kind of an awareness that you are the creation of God. And why this is interesting, because, and this is just a side note of the topic, um, there's always a debate. Is Adam really the first human being? Okay, and, you know, science and religion, always the debate about, you know, is it, you know, the creation or is it uh, evolution and so on. And Islam find a, an interesting answer for that. Uh, there's a verse in the Quran, the Islamic scripture that says, and when God created Adam, and Adam was aware of God and the God's laws and God's you know, instructions, what to do and what not to do, the angels of God questioned God's motive. And the verse says, and the angel said to God, why you want to create something or why you have created something that will cause bloodshed and hatred on earth? And the interesting thing here about this verse, as some the scholars have explained it, is that angels do not know the future. So how they knew that the offsprings of Adam, that because Muslims believe that angels are entities that are in complete submission to God. And then Adam is given the free will, and Adam using this free will will disobey, and then those who are coming from the, as the offsprings of Adam are going to, you know, cause hatred and, and didn't take long, you know. The sons of Adam, you know, started that. So how they knew that this race is going to cause uh, bloodshed and hatred? And some of the scholars said, it means that, were, that God have created humans before Adam, that were beating up each other and, you know, killing each other. But what's special about Adam is Adam was aware of his creator and about his creation and was aware that there are something he can do and something that he cannot do. And that's what makes Adam is the first prophet, the first being with an awareness of God. And that's what makes him a Muslim. And, and that's why we, Muslim, in Islam we don't go in the debate who was the first being, okay? And you know, if you find a fossil that is like millions of years of a human skull, and the Bible is saying that no, our you know, heritage go to a certain year, we don't debate that. We say, yes, both theories are acceptable. Okay? So with this, Adam has the awareness and the understanding of his role. Okay? So what is the role? The role of a Muslim or God's creation are two roles. The first role is an abd. I'll move this. I don't think we need it. Abd means a servant, someone who worship. And this is needed, okay? If I'm a teacher with no students, can I still be a teacher? If you are a, can you be a father without kids, okay? You cannot. And God cannot really be God unless there is someone who would submit in worship to God. And that's why the first rule is to be a abd, to be someone who submit in worship. Okay? And the term worship or being the abd of God go beyond the rituals. 
you know. Uh, you can pray, you can fast, uh, you can do, you can give your uh, alms as rituals. You can come to mass, you can receive communion. All these type of things are rituals. But they have to also go beyond that, okay? Um, Prophet Muhammad have said that every action a person can do is an act of worship. You know, your smile in the face of your neighbor is an act of worship. You know, working hard in your in school, you know, getting good grades, um, working hard at your workplace are all acts of worship. And even he said, even sleeping with your wife is an act of worship. And his companion said, what do you mean sleeping with my wife is an act of worship? He said, what about if you slept with other than your wife? Isn't it a sin? And they say, yes. He said, then sleeping with your wife is an act you'll be rewarded for. So really, everything is an act of worship, even while you are asleep, you know, with the intention that I'm going to wake up early in the morning, come to church, attend the class, and benefit, then while you are sleeping, you are actually in worship. So that's what the term abd means. And then the term khalifa, and khalifa means a trustee. So in a way, all of us are trustees that uh, be, we've been appointed by God for different roles. So being a mother, you know, is a role given to you by God, and you are expected to perform to the best of your ability. Being a father, being a son, being a daughter, being a teacher, being a student, be, being a laborer, all of us carry a certain task. And this task is being entrusted uh, to us by our creator, and we are expected to perform to the best of our ability. So these are what we call the two roles of the Muslim, the human being who is in submission to God. Now, how we understand God? You know, in Islam, submission to God is the main focus of Islam. Uh, if you remove God from the picture, Islam fall apart. So uh, the belief in God and the worship of God and the belief that God is unique, uh, God is the creator, God is the all-powerful, God is the all-wise, God is the all-knowledgeable, there's nothing like God. This is the main tenet of Islam. This is the Islam in a nutshell. But really, God, which occupy a great role in Islamic understanding, is the most unknown. Because in reality, we don't know. We, ha we haven't seen God. We don't have a physical interaction with God. So how we understand God? And that's why in Islam, we say there are two ways you can, we have an understanding of God. One of it is through prophets and through scripture. You know, prophets explain to us how is God and explain to us, you know, what are the uh, traits of God. And Scripture also present us an image of God. But also creation itself present us an image of God. I always say it's like, anybody in arts like to go to galleries and watch portraits? Okay. So you watch the portrait and you look, I always, you know, in Cleveland we have all these museums and people go in art museum and they look at the portrait and then I ask I, my daughter, she like this, I ask her, what, what you're looking at? For me, I look at the portrait, oh, it's nice, and then move on. And I have people who sit for like half an hour just looking at the portrait. And I ask my daughter, what you are looking at? She said, I'm trying to understand the painter. I'm trying to see the painter through the painting. And I look and I, you know, can see just waves and skies and sun, but she can see, she can understand. Say, what do you understand? What do you see? Oh, he's passionate. He is sensitive. Say, how you can see that? Say, I can see it through his painting. Okay? Thus, if we are the creation of God, then through God's creation, uh, we can get a feeling about God. So, books, scripture, prophets, and creation itself. And the best of creation is what? Human being. The human being is the best of God's creation. So that's why, you know, uh, as a physician, 
uh, I don't know, physician should be the most uh, conscious of God, okay? The way you look at how the body functions, you know. Uh, sometimes I go to dialysis units, and I see people on dialysis, huge machines, while at the same time a small kidney do the whole thing. You know, the complex of the eye, better than what you call a iPhone camera that can catch the image. So it's amazing, you know, that how the human body function. And it's all a projection of what the greatness of the creator. But there's another thing that uh, we can understand God through the human being is the different attributes that we have. So some of you are very loving. Some of you are very merciful. Some of, you, some of you are very forgiving. Let's say all of you are forgiving, merciful, and loving. So we have attributes in us. And where they came from? We see they came from the source. They came from our creation. So if we are loving, then God is the most loving. If we uh, like justice and we are just, then God is the most just. So, so let's use one word, the word compassionate and merciful is rahim. And then the most merciful, in Arabic we just add al. So it's what? Al-Rahim. So Al-Rahim is one, we say one of the names of God. Because he is the carrier of what? the best attribute, okay, in its perfect form. And as a human being, I am the servant of the most merciful. So my name would be what? Who can help me here? Abdul Rahim. Okay. And then another name, Rahman. And then Al-Rahman, the compassion. The, uh, the greatest in power, Jabbar. You put Al-Jabbar, God is the greatest in power. And then the Muslim is Abd Al-Jabbar. And then you can play basketball. <laughs> okay? So this is why many Muslims carry this name, the servant of, okay? And this is the word. And then the name of God in Arabic is? And then you would be? No, what's this term? Say it fast. Abdullah. Okay. Like King Abdullah. Okay. But that's the origin of it. Okay. And they are what? 99 attributes. Okay, and that's why, you know, especially in the mystic uh, branch of Islam, those who, you know, have a focus on spirituality after prayers, they have the prayer beads, and the prayer beads, you know, as they move one bead after the other, they mention one of the names of God. So they say, God is Ar-Rahman, hopefully I will have mercy in me. God, Al-Adil, the just, hope that I have justice in me, and you do it. Now, beads usually, because 99 is too long, okay, there are, most beads are 33, which is what? You do it three times, okay, three times. Okay, so this is what we call the understanding, okay? Now, this type of Islam really is what came into Arabia in the seventh century by Muhammad. When Muhammad at age 40, received the revelation, he called his people to submit to God and turn away from the worship of idols and false gods and to be good people, to be good trustee, to be ethically acceptable, you know, to to help others, to not to be racist, not to enslave others, uh, to be charitable, to share their wealth. 
And that's why in, in the beginning of Islam, many of those who are unfortunate, the poor, you know, the slaves, uh, give, hear the opinion of the young, hear the opinion of your wives, okay? Don't enforce your opinion on them. So to be a good trustee, you know, taking care of yourself and the community around you. So this is really was the first, what we call, message of Islam as brought by Muhammad for his people in the city of Mecca. Now with the movement from Mecca into the city of Medina, the persecution and the rejection made Muhammad and his followers move into the city of Medina. And there Muhammad found himself as what? The leader of a community. He's no more a prophet, okay? Only a prophet telling people submit, to wor wor to, uh, submit in worship to God and be ethically uh, good. But now he is a leader of a community who identify itself as Muslims, okay? They are different now. They are unique. And in order to do that, now suddenly Islam became Islam with a uppercase. Okay? Now Islam has rituals. Muhammad said, this community need to be identified from the rest. So Muslims were asked to pray five times a day. Muslims were asked to fast in Ramadan. Muslims asked to uh, give two and a half percent of their income as a charity. Muslims asked to perform the pilgrimage in certain rituals. Now Islam is what a structured religion with rituals that identify the Muslim and, and the Muslim now is different from the rest. So these rituals which were really revealed in, in Medina created what we call the Ummah. Ummah means the nation the community, which means now you have a structure where people can come under the wings of that structure, under the fold of that structure, and now they are being different from the rest, okay? And they are now Muslims, okay? And that's a Muslim now became more identified, you know, what they eat, what they dress, how they behave, how they interact, and forth, okay? Now, so the Muslim community is called the Ummah, okay? Now, interesting enough, the word Ummah is derived from the word Umm. Anybody know what's the word Umm? Like to make a guess? You know? Mother, mother okay? So why uh, the nation is derived from mother and not father? You know, uh, there is an explanation, you know, like a linguistic explanation, but I'm going to use my wife's explanation, okay? <laughs> she said the, the, the nation, the community, take care of the kids, bring up the kids, nourish the kids, nourish its members. She always say that men contribute only a little bit. <laughs> we do the, all the job. We carry the baby for nine months, and we breastfeed the baby, and we take care of the baby, and men, really, how much they contribute. And then she said another thing is that, she said if something happened to her, and she passed away, in her funeral, I'll be standing and looking for my next wife. <laughs> okay? I'm less worried about the kids, Wes worried about bringing them under my wing. I'm looking, where is my next wife, okay? <laughs> she said, but if something happened to you, I, in your fur, I will not be concerned about where is my next husband. I'll be more concerned with my children, bringing my children, okay? Making sure, you know, they are under my war warmth. I disagree with her. I told her if something happened to you, I will not be looking for a second wife in your funeral home. But this is where the ummah is that can bring its members on its wings and nourish these members, okay? And make sure they reach a level of maturity that can be function on their own. And this is the real role of the community. So this is where the um, ummah comes. 
I would like to end by talking a little bit about creed and rituals that are common to all Muslims. See, one of the misconceptions is that Muslims, they are all alike, they all believe in one thing, and they all act in the same thing, which is totally wrong. Um, Islam really is not that homogeneous. And this is a fact. Um, from the time of the Prophet till our modern time, Capital I, okay. That really it's different understanding, different practices, different background. You know, Islam, Muslims, capital M, that comes from 150 countries throughout, you know, spread throughout the continents, of course they are different. If you, if you meet a Muslim from Pakistan, and you meet a Muslim from Nigeria, and you meet a Muslim from Cleveland, Ohio, they have things that are common, but they have a lot of differences, okay? And this is a matter of fact that is applicable to any religion. You know, if you are a Christian and you come from Russia versus a Christian who come from the Middle East versus a Christian who come from France or from the States, you have things that are in common, but then there are a lot of things that are also different. The same thing in Islam. But what are then the common things? The common things are seven articles of faith and five common rituals that identify that all Muslims have in common. If a Muslim say, I don't believe in one of these or I don't practice one of these, really you can say you are not a Muslim with a capital M. Okay, so what are these? It's like what you call when you talk about sacraments in Catholic tradition, okay? You have to practice these in order to be labeled in a certain way. So, they believe in one God, that God is one, God is unique, nothing is like God, God is the creator, God is the all-powerful, God is the all-wise. Believe in angels, and I like to put also a slash jinn. Okay. Angels are, and jinn are the creation that we are really are unaware of. It's beyond our understanding. Uh, some people like to say, are these like aliens? They say, no, they are not aliens. Angels in the Islamic belief are creatures created out of light, no free will, their purpose is to serve God and to, you know, they are given tasks on behalf of God. So there's the messenger. Who is the angel, the messenger? Gabriel, okay. He's the one who talked to Adam. He's the one who talked to Noah. He's the one who appeared to Mary. He's the one who talked to uh, Muhammad. So he is the messenger, okay? And then there is the angel Israfil. He's the one who will blow the horn on the day of judgment. There's the accompanying angels, okay, who do they record your deeds. So angels are very similar in the biblical tradition. But then there is jinn. And jinn are the creation of God out of fire, okay? We call them the spirits. And what's different between angels and jinn are these have a free will. And they can be good and they can be bad. And the one who chooses to be bad, the most famous one is Satan. Okay? Satan is not a fallen angel. Satan is a spirit created by God with a free will who chooses not to obey God. Okay? And really the, the, the spirits, you know, we cannot understand their role. But one of them, one of these roles that, you know, there, there is a kind of agreement, is that these are the ones that, you know, you have a homework. You have homeworks usually? Yes. You have a homework, but you want to watch your favorite TV show, <laughs> and something comes in your mind, okay? Why to do the homework, okay? Let me watch my That's TV show. 
Okay. <laughs> so the whispering in your mind, the, the, this inclination not to do what is expected from you, we say this is what the whispering of the bad jinn. Okay. And then the one who comes to tell you, you know, it's red light, don't pass it, okay? Stop at the stop sign, you know. So, so this is this kind of the whispering. You don't, we don't have a physical interaction, but this is what you call this whispering in the mind that tell us whether to do good or to do bad, okay? So this is where an, the, the role of the jinn. And then they believe in books of scripture. Uh, Muslims believe in five books, that this is that we are aware of, the scrolls of Abraham, the uh, Torah of Moses, the Psalms of David, the Bible of Jesus, and the Quran of Muhammad. Uh, we believe that all scriptures have been revealed by God. It's the word of God revealed to the, to their, to the prospective prophets. But, you know, that's life. The Quran is the final version. Okay, which means usually the final version is the most accurate version. And then they believe in prophets. Um, out of the 26 prophets that are mentioned in the Quran, 23 of them are biblical prophets, which means you can find them also in the Bible. Nuh, uh, um, Noah, Ismail, uh, Ishmael, Ishaq, Isaac, Ibrahim, Abraham, Dawood, David. Um, all of these names, Musa, Moses, Isa, Jesus, are all names that you find in the Quran and they are represented as prophets of God. And prophets of God, they receive the revelation from God, the instructions, and they deliver it to the mankind and they are a role model of it. And it's very important, the role of the prophets. Why? Because God can appear, and God's angels can appear and say, be good. If God appeared to you and say, come to church on Sunday, what you are going to do? Probably come to church on Sunday. Okay. There's no, okay. But if he told you, come to church on Sunday, say, I am tired, I don't want to go. So, well, if I can do it, you can do it. So it is important that prophets are human beings. Yes, they have a high level of ethics and morals in them, but they are still human beings. And they can relate better to the people they are giving the message to. And then they believe in judgment and resurrection. That at some point, life will cease to exist People are going to be resurrected. The soul is coming back in a body that we don't know what. So a 90-year-old will not come back as a 90-year-old, and a 6-year-old will not come back as a 6-year-old. We are our spirits, our souls are coming back in a form that we will be stand into judgment and accountability. And then there is afterlife. hell, and paradise. And the seven is the, it's the very interesting one. It's called how you can combine free will and destiny. Destiny. Are we destined in life? Yes. Every action we do, is it within God's knowledge? Yes. Does God know what hap will, will happen to us? How we are going to die? How we are going to perform? Yes. All of what happened to us is within God's knowledge. And we say this is our destiny as prescribed to us by God. But we don't know our destiny. Okay? We don't know. Do you know what you are going to eat two weeks from now for lunch? Okay. So whatever you are going to eat in two weeks from now for lunch is choices you made or your wives made, okay? And you might be cooking for him and then suddenly someone calls you and say, let's have lunch in a restaurant. And then you change. So whatever happened to you is your destiny. And we say within God's knowledge, we know, he knows what's going to, 
what you are going to eat for lunch in two weeks from now. But you don't know. So whatever is going to happen to you two weeks from now is what? Choices that you've made. Or choices that others have made that impacted us. So it's a free will, but it's also a destiny. It's how you can bring these together without any conflict. I'll keep this, okay, till next week, okay? Because I, I know we are running short of time, but I would like to end one thing, which I think very important, uh, especially for this group. So why we were created? Well, we, create, we were created to serve God, to submit in worship to God, and to be the best people in ethics and morals and character, the, to be the more, the, the best positive, okay, uh, positive impact that we can have on, on, on God's creation, on this earth that we find ourselves, okay? That's what he expected from us. And God gave us free will to make choices. Do good, you'll be rewarded. Don't fulfill your role, you know, there is accountability. And it makes sense, okay? If my students know that they, I'm not giving them grades, there's no accountability, nobody is going to show up to class, okay? But why you show up to class? Because you know if you don't show up to class, there's what? A failing grade for you. The same thing at your work. There's no accountability, there's no demotion or promotion. You know, if it's left to us, work do not function well, okay? The same thing at your household dealing with your children. There is accountability. Could you imagine in your household, no account accountability to your children? They can do whatever they want, whenever they want. Doesn't work, okay? There is accountability, and we say it's common sense, this term of accountability. But at the same time, we are not perfect. That's why the word human being in Arabic is insan. <laughs> not insane, insan. <laughs> and insan actually means forgetful. We are forgetful beings. We forget, okay? And that's why sometimes we make mistakes, okay? Because we forget that God is present. We forget about what is God's instructions and what God requires from us. We are forgetful, okay? And we follow our desires. It's part of our imperfection. And this started from Adam, okay? You know, it's like when God created Adam and Eve and he said... Don't touch this. What do you think they are going to do? <laughs> Human beings, okay? I'm always amazed how if you, when I walk in the hallway and it says, don't touch, there's paint, don't touch, how many people actually like to touch. Human curiosity is part of us. So God knew and expected Adam and Eve to disobey, okay? By their curiosity, by their imperfection, by their forgetfulness, so they forget what God told them, and they're curious to know exactly why he's telling them not to eat from the tree. So it is expected. So when God created us and in an imperfect form, then we are going to fall into sin. If we don't fall into sin, there's something wrong in us. Okay? But we strive our best. Okay? They, like when you deal with your kids. Nobody have perfect kids, but you, tr they tr you try your best to raise them in a way that they are always try to be at their best. Yes, there are spills, there are mistakes, you know, in their path, but we try to be our best. And this is applied to any one of us. Every one of us, none of us is perfect. Nobody can stand here and say, I'm perfect. One time I said, even the Pope himself cannot say he, he is perfect, okay? especially if you look in history, you know. <laughs> but I am saying none of us is perfect, and this is part of our creation. So when God created us and expected us to perform to the best of our ability, he understood and he knew that we are not perfect. But it's our striving, our struggle on a day, just give me one second. Struggle and striving on a day-to-day -day basis to be the best what we are and how we can be. And this is expected. And there's some guidance from this person, some guidance that we receive from time to time. 
but this is expected, okay? And then we are going to be rewarded or punished based on our performance, okay? So, for example, let's say you are my students, okay? Can I use you as my students in class? I use this example. He come to class, no, no. You come to class, <laughs> you, you perform to the best of your ability, and you deserve an A grade. What's your name? Sue. Sue. Sue is the perfect student, deserve an A. Jim doesn't show to class, he doesn't do his homework, he doesn't do anything, okay? He deserves an F. Now Sue come to me and tell me, Professor, I'm a good person, good-hearted person. Can you give my A to Jim, and can you give me his F? <laughs> Should I do this? Are you willing to take her A? Yeah, yes, for sure, okay. <laughs> eh? But I'm saying, is it fair? Should I do this if two students approached me and one is willing to give his A so that the other student will not fail? What should I do? Who can help me here? Well, I guess if one of the 99 names of God is full of grace. <laughs> no, that's a serious question. So, yeah, no. I, 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 so, the good student is going to fail and the bad student is going to pass. Where is justice here? Yes, I understand there's mercy, but where is justice? Is this how we perform? Imagine if life functioned like this. I know both of them, they try their best to be, and I understand students are not teachers, although some students feel that they, are, they know more than their teachers. But I understand they are not perfect. They are trying their best to learn. But I also, if she performs well, she's going to pass. If he's not performing well, he's not going to pass. They make choices based on the free will. And I know what you are, uh, why you ask this question. And that's why in Islam, we don't have a savior. There's no savior needed. Because it is what our performance, our struggle on day-to-day -day basis. Yes, we are created sinners, but this is not sinners. We are imperfect, and we are expected to sin. But we are also expected to what? to repent and seek forgiveness. And that's why I always I will end up with this. It's a, a prophetic tradition by Prophet Muhammad who said that if you were perfect, God would have created an imperfect generation so that they sin and they are, they repent and they are forgiven. It's more, I don't know how God thinks, I'm not in God's mind, but he said it's it's like, again, I have students who always get A's and someone who get F's and then they do their best and the end of the semester, they get that A. Who you think I bring me more joy? The one who always is good and get the A or the one who was struggling from the beginning but they did their best and they, regardless of the failure, in spite of all the failure, they tried their best and they eventually they passed. And that's why, you know, we said we are our own saviors. Each one of us is his or her own savior. Okay? And that's why Jesus in Islam is a prophet who presents to us the message and live that message through the model that he presents, but we are our own saviors. Okay? Two questions. The first one, you said insan meant forgetful. Yes. But then you went on to describe what in English we would use. You went on to describe for insan uh, what in English we would use two separate words for. One is forgetful, the other one is rebellious. Does insan include the rebellious aspect of the human nature or is there no. another word for that? No, there is another word for that, but I'm saying is that I'm just explaining that part of our creation this imperfection, and mm -hmm. what this imperfection is where we are forgetful. The rebellion in us, part of it is the curiosity in us to seek things that, so good, but what about if I was bad? I want to see how it looks to be bad, okay? Those who have children, sometimes they try to see how it looks to be bad, okay? So I, that's why I don't see it's rebellious, it's more part of discovering part of this, you know, trying to find how it looks. Mm -hmm. That's why, you know, most people who I counsel say, why you were smoking weed? 
I try to, they say, I try to find how it feels. And then you get hooked to it and you, you know, become an addict. But sometimes it's this curiosity in us because what? We are imperfect. We don't know everything. We don't know, we don't experience everything. We try to understand things and sometimes we, we put ourselves in a position where it's a problem. Then my second question was, um, forgiveness is very important. Mm -hmm. How can there be justice if there's forgiveness? Well, there is, okay? The act of repenting is humiliating by itself, okay? So you are rebellion, okay? You made a mistake, and you come and... And you made it, let's say, part of arrogance, part of pride, whatever, you know, your state. But just kneeling down and submitting and humiliating yourself, and you say, can you forgive me? I made a mistake. I acknowledge that I made a mistake. By itself is a punishment. Okay? So, yes, you, you repent and you seek forgiveness by the act itself, okay, is a punishment by itself. You know, she asked you to do something and you did not do it, okay? And you come and tell her, you know, forgive me. You know, how you, you know, wouldn't you feel good that he's, you know, ha you know, <laughs> humbling himself and humiliating himself or herself, okay, in front of God and asking forgiveness, okay? This is a punishment by itself, okay? And that's why the opposite is arrogance, there are th some of us who make the mistake, but they are too arrogant to acknowledge that they made a mistake. And who is the king of this? Satan. Okay? You know, in Islamic scripture, Satan was asked to submit to Adam. Okay? And he was full of arrogance. He said, I'm not submitting to Argan. Adam is not better than me. Why do you think Adam is better than me? Okay? And it's funny about Satan is that his, I'm going to use the term fall, you know, he blamed it on God. He said, it's not my fault that I'm not submitting to Adam. It's not my fault that I d I'm disobeying. It's your fault, God. Why? Because you create someone that is better than me, and you are asking, telling me that I am, uh, he is better than me. It's your fault. And this is also human nature, isn't it? Sometimes you make a mistake, and instead of saying that it's my mistake, you blame it on someone else. You might be blaming it on her, okay? So this is a human nature, and that's why forgiveness is an act of punishment itself. Okay, we have uh, a good seven to eight minutes left. Okay, let's go. And so I'm going to come to anyone who has a question with the mic. We want you to use the mic because it's recorded, and we need to hear your question. Yes, do uh, yeah, I can veto him from time to time if you want. Okay. Do do Sunni, Shia, Ibadi, and Kurdish Muslims? Yeah. I assume that, as you mentioned, they all follow the, mm -hmm. the same five books. Um, do they have different hadith that they follow, and is that why we have, you know, some certain okay. uh, areas well, of, of the Muslim community? Yeah. Kurdish Muslims are Sunni Muslims, so Kurdish is an ethnic background, not a religious sect. Okay. So most Kurdish are Sunnis. So let's so, put that aside. Okay, so okay, then that's good. Thanks okay. for the clarification. And then who else? Well, the main thing is, I mean, do different factions of the Muslim community b um, believe in different uh, mixes no, of the No, what Adam? I said is the common. When I brought you the seven. Yeah, but what I'm wondering is, I mean, you know, reading John's handout, yes. you know, about what Hadith are, it seems like there's a lot of, there's a lot of different Hadith yeah, that, well, that next, we're basically yeah, Next over. week, if we are still alive, okay, uh, I'm going to talk about Sharia, mm -hmm. okay, Islamic law. And I'm going to talk about the sources of the law. And I'm going to talk that there are three sources of the law. And one of the sources of the law is the tradition of the Prophet, the Hadith. Okay? And why we have, you know, different laws based on different Hadiths. So can we wait till next week? We can. Yes. We can. Because right. I think it would be better explained when I talk about the law and how it's different. Okay. Yes, doctor. Does God's compassion and mercy extend to non-believers? God's compassion and mercy 
extend to everything, okay? Even animals, even uh, like, uh, there's a tr prophetic tradition that says a man was walking by and the wind blow his hat and he cursed the wind. So the prophet said, why you are cursing the wind? Okay, on the day of judgment, the wind will ask God for justice. Okay, so even the wind. Which means that, and I'll give you my perspective here. If God gave us free will to make choices, and God gave us an intellect to think, and through our free will and choices and intellect, my conviction that I, I am a Christian, and that's what I believe in, and that's my salvation, and that Jesus Christ is my savior. Regardless of what I said today, that's your conviction based on your intellect and your, your choices that you made. As a Muslim, I believe that God should not, okay, punish you for your choices. Because you made choices based on what? What God given you, the intellect and the will, okay? And, I, and that's why we say that God's mercy, okay, we really, we cannot explain how God functions in a way, but God cannot judge us for choices that we made based on things that he have created in us. So this is on one hand. On the other hand, sometimes we act as judges and we say, you are not saved, you are doomed, you are going to fail, you are going to, and it's very easy, we start throwing people in hell as if we own hell and we have its keys and gates and we throw people. And really, you know, again, there's a prophetic tradition which I like a lot. He said, the Prophet Muhammad was asked, why you are praying all night? Why you are fasting? Why you are doing all of this? He said, I don't know if I'm going to get God's mercy, okay? I do my best to be the best person, and I hope that God's mercy covers me, include me. And this is what the prophet of Islam. So God's mercy is, what do you call it? It's so abundant that it's beyond, what do you call, a, a number here. And it includes everyone, okay? And that's why the term believer, okay, it's more than just, can we say, Islam with a capital I. I say believer is Islam with the lowercase I. As long as you have an awareness of God and you submit yourself in God and you try your best to be the best person, then it's between you and God, okay? And I believe God is just, so I don't worry too much about that. I do my best, that's why I tell my students. I'm not God, but I'm telling my students, do your best and don't worry about your grades, okay? And that's why I have many students, you know, take my classes, because they know that if I see them doing their best, okay, they pass this class. Yes, and I hope I'm not getting ahead of next week's lecture. That's okay. But one question that has yeah. puzzled me for a long time, and I haven't heard an answer, to what extent, if any, ISIL, that they have any beliefs that are really in common with Islam, okay. or is ISIL a complete corruption of the Muslim religion? Yeah. Well, they're a bunch of idiots, okay? <laughs> um, one of the things in Islam that I like, that promote, and this we'll talk it next week, uh -huh. the three sources of the law, it's good to just give you an idea. The Quran, which is the scripture, the hadith, which is the prophetic tradition, but the most important source of the law is what? Logical reasoning, intellect, common sense, okay? And which is interesting, most of Islamic law is based on common sense. As a regular human being, my kid, okay, he looked at the TV and said, these are crazy people, okay? <laughs> so, which I, I feel bad because they have no common sense, okay? And this is not, you know, I don't want just to just put it on the ISIL people. There are many people in, 
who claim to follow a certain religion, who f claim, but they don't have the common sense, okay? You know, and th especially, you know, those who commit crimes, who, fo you know, make stupid things. You, you start questioning yourself, where is the common sense? A mother kill her kids, a father rape his daughter. Where's the common sense, okay? Where's the decency, where's the understanding? So imagine slaughtering people, burning people. You know, I was listening to the news that now ISIS telling its members, use gray list, okay, to, or these lists that you can tempt people to come and then you kill them. It says, wow, they did not create anything. We do already have this, you know, people who use gray list. So guess what? I found that there's ISIS and there is someone who have ISIS mentality, okay? Although they might not be Muslim. That's one of the um, problems that I have with mm -hmm. how we're politically talking about religion mm -hmm. today. We've had many Christians mm -hmm. who have um, done horrible, horrible terrorist mm -hmm. things, and we don't, we don't ban, we don't blame Christianity. Mm -hmm. So, in the same, in the same realm, I think it's wrong for us to blame a faith when people of that faith do something wrong. Well, let me tell you one thing that happened to me. You know, um, I belong to the Interreligious Council at Case Western Reserve University, and we have an interfaith center where, you know, I have an office there with other, like, pastors and priests who come there. And when there was this, the rise of Islamophobia and you know, people attacking mosques or you know, harassing Muslims, and uh, I see the pastor, she came to me and she said, Ramos, I really want to apologize okay, for all what's happening. I said, no, you don't need to apologize. You don't need to apologize and I don't need to apologize. Okay? We are proud of who we are. We have strong conviction okay, of our beliefs and our religion that we follow and, and our, you know, values that we uh, adhere to. And then there's a bunch of people, okay, who in the name of Christianity or in the name of Islam or in the name of Judaism act in a, in a bad way that might harm the image of the, the, what faith they represent. I condone this, but I don't need to apologize for that, okay? And this is what I told her. You don't apologize, and I don't apologize. We <coughs> present what is the true image of our faith and our tradition. We have uh, one more question. Okay. From our young genius. Okay. Um, so when you were talking about um, being a servant of God, mm -hmm. you mentioned that a father cannot be a father without children. Yes. That way... God cannot be God without servants or someone to. Mm -hmm. So, does that give too much power to us? Because God can be God without us. He doesn't need us to be who He is. Mm -hmm. Truth is truth without a um, someone recognizing that mm -hmm. it is there. So, could you expand more on that? Um, well, yes. Well, to be honest with you. I cannot really understand what is in God's, and I can't even use the word mind, okay? Why God created us, okay? What was the motives of God? I really don't know, okay? So I try to come with an explanation, okay? So I say, if God, I believe that God is the all-wise, then our, the creation has a purpose, which means we are created for a purpose. And then I say, what is that purpose, okay? Well, one of it is to be what? Respectful to the entity that created us, okay? And I use a simple example. So the simple example is you and your family, okay? Are you respectful to your parents? Why? Why you are respectful? Why you need to listen, okay? Why? But because they, you know, brought you to life, they are taking care of you. So this is, you know, I say part of us is what? The expectation that I'm respectful to the entity that created me. And part of the respect is what? Worship. That's what we do, worship. But then you say, 
what is expected from me? So what is expected from you as your parents have taken care of you? You are expected to be what? The best person. You know, your parents don't want you to be what? A criminal locked in a prison. They want you to be the best person. and They want to be proud of you. In any setting you are, you are the best. And that's what we say. If, if God created me in that way, so I submit in worship, show to respect to him. But at the same time, I think I, part of my obligation towards God is to be the best person that ever existed. And I try my best, I strive. And that's how I understand. It might be totally wrong. We might die and we get a big surprise. But I'm not worried about that now, okay? I'm using my common sense is that I'm going to be respectful to the entity that created me and I'm going to be the best person ever existed in that lifespan. When I die, I hope that I'm in a better place in the grace of God. It was a surprise. I'm not going to regret that. Okay? If I woke up, I'm dead, I woke up and I'm in myself an ant, okay? I, I, I'm not going to really regret that I what? I didn't act as a fool while I'm alive, okay? Because all of this, and I ended up as an ant, okay? Or one time I said, I woke up and I found myself a Pittsburgh Steeler, you know, okay? Say, <laughs> so, oh my God, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, in my that class. That would be bad. In my class, I have this Pittsburgh Steeler fan. I yeah. always pick on him, you know? And he's from Ohio. Could you well, imagine there's that? there's a bunch of people here from Michigan, so you can get your Michigan jokes working. Oh. That, that's a rich trope. Well, well but, but, you know, I have this bad attitude towards Michigan, you know, Ohio State, Michigan. But my daughter is doing her uh, one year of law school at Ann Arbor, and, okay? <laughs> so I've changed my attitude. Now I am, but still, the Steelers, no, I'm not changing that. Okay, uh, well, uh, let's uh, show our love and appreciation. Uh, he will be here next week again. A great time to invite a friend. Uh, we can open those up. Uh, this is a rare and treasured opportunity for all of us. Uh, just before we say a quick prayer, I want to tell you that my grandfather was a, um, a gold leaf artist in Cleveland when they used to actually paint the gold leaf on the windows. And uh, so he got so tired of people touching the wet paint, and I'm thinking of your story, that he used to have a, a placard and he would put wet paint on it and write on the top, wet paint, test here. <laughs> okay, let's pray together. Thank you, almighty God, for our friend, Dr. Islam Bouli, who came here to share his faith, his heart, his self, his being, and what a gift that has been to us. Help us to learn. Help us to lay ourselves open to you and truly we do want to be all that we can be and the best people that we can be and we ask for your love and your grace and your mercy to help us do that. Amen. Okay.